0: Thanks very much. What a great um, interview. Really inspiring. Can we do something different? Can we stand to our feet? I'm just feeling you've been sat down a while. Um, I know you've got to get a notebook out and things, but I thought I wanted to read a scripture and pray while everyone's with me, you're focused, and then we can get into the message. Um, So first of all, just to begin, we're looking at a series right in the middle of a series called Building One Another. Um, Tim spoke a great word last week so if you weren't here last week get it on SoundCloud about the heart for building one another Uh, but just to to lay a bit of context the next slide shows you four images of where we're at Um, four um, boxes to describe um, to unpack the vision we've got building one another building builders building community and building mission we're focusing on that first box here for the next We have for the last couple of weeks, building one another, arise and build. In the Bible, I know I'm getting onto a scripture. I want you to just stand there, stay hanging. In the Bible, it says a number of things about one another. Love one another, welcome one another, care for one another, serve one another, submit to one another, always do good to one another, be kind to one another, comfort one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And there's more, but I won't go on. Um, you may remember Paul last year speaking a message or series called "One Another" or "One Another Ring." There was an image of being in the boat, um, and actually, how you don't you don't necessarily pick who's on the other side of that boat, but you are as important. You you need each other. Or they're in the boat. A little bit like the, the boat race yesterday. If you watch Oxford versus Cambridge, um, Cambridge won hands down in all the races. But anyway, if there was one person missing from that boat, the, the race would be a write-off. It needs every person in the boat. Which leads me to a scripture. And I know you're still standing, but I'm just getting to get the blood flowing in your legs. Um, Hebrews 10. This is the scripture that I'm reading today. Um, and a bit of context We don't know who the author is. We're not quite sure of the audience. But these, the people um, that the writer is writing to are Jewish people that are converted to Christianity. But a lot of people, because of persecution, were walking away from God. And it says this in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. People walked away. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I wanted to pray because I felt like maybe I needed it, but maybe you need it as well. Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for one another. We can't pick who we stood next to. We can't necessarily choose who's in the boat with us, but God, we're grateful for every person in this church. And God, as an act, we're standing together. God, we're in this together. And Lord, we thank you for this church that you are building. And it's starting with every single one person. And Lord, as we stand together, we stand together united. We stand together as one. God, we stand together as your church. And Lord, I pray as we unpack the word of God this morning, that we, we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are ready to receive from you in your name. Amen. And you can take a seat. Hopefully you've got the, the, the blood flowing again in your legs and you're ready. But I wanted to stand together. I wanted to do something where we as a church, we're in this together. It's me preaching. And okay, uh, maybe there's a little bit of a spotlight on me. But actually, the spotlight is on you. We're in this together. I can't preach without you. And you can't hear me preach without me. Does that make sense? We're, we're in this together. <laughs> um, but I want to just begin by talking about um, house parties. Strange place to start, I know. Um, I'm not one for house parties. Although in my younger days, I would go to a lot of them. And I didn't particularly enjoy them but there was one house party that stands out to me more than others it's actually probably my only claim to fame Um, I had a friend still do but he lives in London and he lives in a sort of you know um, he was in the sort of music industry kind of still is but um, he's more gone he's gone into journalism now anyway but anyway that's a side story Went to a house party that he was running in London, in his house, in a nice sort of Victorian terrace, big sort of house that he shared with his friends. And I was, you know, the house was kind of full. It's not a huge house. The house was full of people, lots of Londoners, lots of Cockneys, lots of less, not not many sort of northern or midlanders like myself there. But anyway, we're in this environment and there's one person that stood out in this room. Now, some people in the room won't know who this person is, but I'm sure some of you will. Walking up the stairs... Um, it was a packed staircase. I was going on my way to the toilet. On the staircase was a man, some of you may know, Daniel Bedingfield. Yeah, I went to a house party with Daniel Bedingfield. Can you believe it? You know, and we, you know, walked up the stairs. It was a packed staircase. I needed to get to, to the toilet. I shook his hand and said, I've got to get through this proud to get to the toilet I was thinking that one all night but if you don't know you know he had a hit number one you got to get through this you got to get through this <laughs> anyway Daniel Bedingfield um, now that was 10 years ago 12 years ago maybe and I still tell that story as if it's like my only story because I received some value by going to a house party that Daniel Bedingfield was at I am suddenly you know pretty cool I don't know about now, but maybe back then he was probably a B-list. No, he was a number one. So I'd say he's, an, he's somewhere in the towards the A, but maybe more of a B-list celebrity. Um, but anyway, that's Daniel Bedingfield. <laughs> Sometimes the value that you place upon yourself um, often comes from who else is in the room at that time. You, when thinking about parties and thinking about celebration, thinking about a wedding, one of the first things that you'll do when you walk into that wedding feast is you'll look at that seating plan on the wall, and you're like, it's not sort of who am I, sorry, where am I? It's whom I sat with. Who's on my table? Can I get on with that person? Do I really like that person? Are they going to be fun? Or are they, you know, how am I going to, you know, how am I going inter- to interact with that person? It happens in a wedding. Um, but you have to think about this context in Hebrews. God had invited the Hebrew people to the greatest party of all time. Now, if you read through the, the earlier chapters within Hebrews, the writer is telling the reader that Jesus is far greater than angels. He's far greater than the Torah, which is what they base their life upon. He's far greater than Moses. He's like the king. He's like the big daddy of, of their faith. He's far greater than the high, the high priest. He's far greater than anyone else. It is the greatest party, the greatest occasion. Better than sacrificing animals, and the old covenant. Yet people needed, as it says in that scripture, they needed motivating to love and to good deeds. They they needed reminding that actually don't stop giving up, don't give up meeting together. You know, there's, don't forget Jesus is coming back. Don't forget there will be a time where all this is restored and made right. Don't forget. But yet we do, don't we? God has invited us, and the question is, how do you respond? Do we just treat that invitation? You get that invitation through the post, and you sort of put it on the mantel shelf and say, I'll deal with that later. And one of the more, if you've ever planned a wedding, one of the huge frustrations is waiting for people to RSVP to your wedding. Imagine how frustrated God is when he's waiting for you to respond to the invitation to come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we just delay. We put it in the cupboard, we lock it away and we forget the invitation to salvation. We forget the invitation to healing. We forget the invitation. Sometimes we compare ourselves, again, using the wedding analogy. And in a minute, I'm going to read a scripture about weddings. But you get, now, if you've planned a wedding, if you've been involved in weddings, you'll understand the political challenge that you have in arranging the seats and the seating plan and who to invite to what. And, you know, I've only got you know, 50 places at the, at the meal. or I've only got 100 places at the evening thing. I've got friends. I've got more family than I can accommodate for. How am I going to deal with this? And the, the inevitable thing is at a wedding, there's always going to be, unless you found a way to, some people nowadays do weddings where they just invite everyone to everything or they invite nobody to nothing. And it's that one way or the other. But some people, most people, You invite some people to your sort of all day. You're in for everything. You've got the service. You've got the tea and coffee, the photographs. You've got the the lunch, the the wedding breakfast, as they call it. You've got the evening meal. You've got the disco. You've got the full works. And then there's some people who, you know, you've got your day guest. And that's not any less on you, but that's just how it happens. It's just, you know, you have to organize things. But one thing that we do when we think about the invitation that God gives us, we compare our invitation to somebody else. And we say, what have you been invited to? Have you been invited for the whole day? Have you got have you got the lunch? Have you got the evening meal? Have you got the whatever? We sometimes compare ourselves to one another, um, which is in some ways one another is a good thing, but actually can have a negative effect on us as well. So let's read a scripture because we're thinking about we're thinking about that Hebrew scripture, and that's going to form the main framework for my, for my message today. We're thinking about, um, let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together. Let's not just put the invitation to one side and think, you know what? I'll go when I feel like it. Especially now the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. But I, this, this scripture sort of just dropped I don't know if it's like a download from heaven, sometimes happens, or whether it was just what I ate the night before or what I'd had for breakfast. I don't know. But this scripture came into my head, into my heart, into my spirit. So I'm going to read it to you. Luke 14, verse 7, says this. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. <clears throat> when you are invited to a wedding feast, take note, everyone, don't, actually, you could never do this nowadays, but don't sit on the head table. The bride would never let you unless you're invited. But anyway, don't sit near the head of the table. He, Sorry, where am I? Don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you, Daniel Beddingfield, for example, has also been invited, or Justin Bieber, or, you know, whoever, distinguished, (laughs) the host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you'll be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left, it's not like the the end seat, it's like the the kiddie seats, you'll be in the kiddie zone, and I went to to someone's wedding, and I had to be childminder for about 15 kids. Um, And it was just crazy during the speeches, but anyway. Um, Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This year we're using a phrase... Find your place. Find my place. So if you go to a wedding, you'll look at the seating plan arrangement, and it's the next job is to find your place. You'll go and look to see the place that has been prepared for you, normally with a little gift and a little chocolate and a little name tag or whatever it is that you've decided, or the bride, most likely, has decided to put there on the table for you. But this scripture is saying, actually, when you choose, and I guess weddings back then were different, But when you're making your decision about any occasion, whether it be a church setting, whether it be um, a party, whether it be uh, an event that we've got here at church or something outside of church or just general life, your work situation, your family situation, your relationships. What he's saying here is put everyone else before yourself, which is all about serving, all about humility. And it's certainly not about striving to be at the top. It's certainly not about striving to be The leader, or striving to be the preacher, or striving to be the biggie, the the head honcho, the celebrity status Christian. It's not even about finding your calling, although it is. It's not even about, you know, finding your purpose, although it is. It's not about making a name for yourself in ministry, although it could be. It's about putting other people before yourself, because I came up with this phrase as as this download came, you can either find your place, or as this scripture says, and I don't like this, but this is what the scripture says, you can either find your place, or you can be put in your place, and that can apply to church, you can, we can find our place, and we're encouraging you to find your place, but also you can be put in your place, and, and that can come with, you know, God telling us off, or maybe a leader telling us off off, but more likely it's the conviction that God puts on our heart to actually you know what you did there you were, you, you did that wrong so um, the question is what happens if you don't get your way or you're disappointed with your seat or your position you're like I wish I'd got invited to the the meal I wish I'd got invited as a, an all day guest but I'm just a measly evening guest in this in this thing called church i'm just'm I'm just, I'm not even as good as the person you know who Cleans the toilets before Sunday. I'm not, I just don't feel like I fit. I don't feel like I have any value in church. I don't feel like I have any place in church. And quite amazingly, as the scripture tells us, even invited people, because what you need to understand, first of all, you are invited. Jesus has prepared a place for you. We're talking about finding your place in the kingdom of God, but there is already a place. You have a place. That is set before you. You have a place. But even invited people can be dis, can disqualify themselves from entering the party. So Arise and Build this year, building one another, is partly about helping people find their place. Here's a lovely table arrangement. It's about finding where you fit. It's about your purpose in the kingdom of God and in this church. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time just unpacking that Hebrew scripture that I read at the beginning. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love And good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together. This is testing my memory. As some people are, especially now the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. So let's unpack that sort of sentence. I've got three fragments of this verse to unpack for the rest of today. The first one, thanks Jess or Jess, both Jesses. Let us think of ways. To motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What's really interesting is we have to think about motivating one another. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally. Doing good and acts acts of love aren't necessarily the kind of things. We talked about the marriage course. You can't just by default love each other. You can't just simply, oh, I'm married now, therefore we love each other, therefore we're going to have a happy ever after scenario. In fact, we have to Do something with our marriage. It's not just a, oh, I I love them, therefore we're going to stay together forever. It, It requires effort. It requires hard work. We have to think of ways to motivate one another. You have to think of ways to motivate your wife to love you. You have to think about ways to motivate others and your friends to love you. You have to think about ways to motivate people, sorry, not to love you, but to love others and to do good deeds. Because we as humans, I was watching Sport Relief on Friday. I don't know if you did. And a great cause, lots of funny, lots of, lots of, on the TV show on a Friday night, lots of fun, lots of, you know, fairly mediocre TV. And then sp- split up in, in between the different segments of television, you've got these appeals. You've got these videos of Africa or scenarios where, you know, third world countries or people suffering, people going through difficult times. And then it says, please give, please text, please phone. And uh, I was was watching this, and I was sort of thinking, how many times am I going to hear that message, that number? How many times am I going to watch one of these these videos before I actually text? (laughs) And it took about, you know, seven or eight, before I eventually thought, you know what, I'm just going to text. I'm going to text in. But I needed motivating to do something good. I needed somebody to tell me, you know what, this is on offer. You can give. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. So church is here. We are here to help one another, to motivate one another, to do good things. Because actually in Galatians 6 verse 9, it's not on screen, it says, do not become weary in doing good, which suggests to me that doing good, as good as it is, is hard. It makes you weary. Serving on a ministry, if you have signed up for ministry, if you're doing something good for God, whenever, you know, somebody comes and gets baptized and they stand on stage and they share a, a testimony or they do something public, they're often exposed to challenge, they're often exposed to difficult times. They're often exposed to, to um, difficulties because actually doing good can lead to you know people becoming weary. It's not easy to do good. It's not easy to love. But we can motivate one another. And I'm no expert in motivation. <laughs> I'm no expert in doing good. I'm no expert in love. But I've got a few top tips for you to think. Okay, it says there, think. So we're going to do a little bit of thinking. We're going to think. We're going to come up with some scenarios, some things that you can do. And if you're thinking, I don't know how to motivate someone to love and good deeds, just get a pen out. Just write these down. These may be, you know, life-saving tips, especially if you're sort of embarking on a marriage or, or you're embarking on a new relationship. Or you simply just want to apply this scripture to your life. So my top tips, how can we motivate one another to love and good deeds? I tend to find this isn't statistically proven, this isn't fact, but this is just the average for my life. For every one negative comment that I get, I tend to need roughly five positive comments for me not to focus on that one negative. So if one person at the end of this preach says something negative about how I preached, I will need five people to tell me something good about the preach, otherwise I'll go and Dwell on the bad thing. I'm not saying you all need to come and speak to me after that. You don't have to. (laughs) But generally, statistically, if I do anything and somebody says that wasn't... I understand the importance of feedback and constructive criticism. But if somebody criticizes me and I start feeling bad about myself, I tend to need at least five to balance out the one. So speak positively to one another. How else can I motivate someone to love and good deeds? Well, I can just be honest. I can share my faults. I can share my weaknesses so that other people, when they look at me, they think, oh, wow, Ben's got it all together. He's preaching. He must be, he must be like super holy. He must be like this close to God. I'm not. I've got weaknesses. I've got faults. I am, I am imperfect. And hopefully, when we share our weaknesses and our faults other people gain encouragement from that because they realize, actually, my life isn't as bad as I thought it was. I am not as bad a Christian as I thought I was. I suddenly start feeling motivated to do good and love. Suddenly, I don't actually feel as bad about myself because that person who looks great, like a Daniel Beddingfield celebrity Christian, he looks amazing. When they find out or you find out that he's not as, he hasn't got it all together as I thought he had, actually, my life isn't as bad as I thought it was. Actually, I'm good. I'm in a good place. We get motivated to love and good deeds. Another top tip, make life easier for someone else. Don't hold on to your good ideas. I often think about in this in the work context. In work, it's, it's a dog-eat-dog scenario in some, in some people's work situations. It's a, if I don't make myself look employable, I could be the next person to be made redundant. So I've got to be the best me. At the expense, possibly, of my colleagues, because if anyone's got to go, it's got to be them. So I'm going to hold all my good ideas, all my best practice, all my top little tips to be a good whatever. And at the expense of a colleague. So at the end of the day, my boss, if he's going to fire anyone, he's going to fire them because they don't know what I know. My encouragement to you is share your good ideas with others, not just in a work situation. You know, if you're, if you're struggling with your marriage, go to the marriage course and encourage those who are, doing, um, who, sorry, who are doing well in their marriage. If you're struggling with parenting, speak to people who are doing well in parenting. If you're struggling in relationships or if you're struggling at work, speak to people who are doing well. Share. It suddenly motivates you to do good and to love. And a final tip is think about other people in your spare time. It says there, think about ways to motivate one another. That's not just in a church, so hopefully you'll listen to me now, but hopefully you'll listen to yourself tonight or this afternoon, or you'll listen to God tomorrow. And ask God, God, how can I motivate someone today? How can I inspire them? Or it says in another version, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Who can I text today today? Just to encourage them and spur them on. Who can I pray for? They may never know I've prayed for them. Or maybe I'll tell them I've prayed for them. But what am I going to do in private? What am I going to do? Think about people. If you want to inspire them to good things, think about them. So we'll move on to the second part of this verse. And it says here, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one Another, do you know what? In answer to that first question about what can I do to motivate someone to love and good deeds, the answer is in this second part of the scripture. It's turn up. If I want to encourage somebody, inspire someone to love and good deeds, well, I am going to make sure that I'm in church on Sunday. I am going to make sure that I am early to small group this week because I want to be there on the door to say hello and welcome people in. I am going to sign up and serve on a ministry because I want to love people. I want to be the first on the front door, on the car park. I want to be the first person that inspires the the person that comes to church to love and good deeds. There is nothing more encouraging to, you know, Paul and Sarah, to the leadership, to your ministry lead, to your small group leader, to whoever, than you turning up than you being in the, prayer, in the room, than you being present, not just physically present, because we can all zombify and walk into church and just walk out, but actually being present. And I'm going to make a decision today on Sunday. I'm not just going to listen to the preach, get my coffee and go. I'm going to encourage someone today. I'm going to motivate someone today. I'm going to bless someone today. I am going to, even if it's just a smile, even if it's a hug, even if it's a high five, it's something To spur someone on to love and good deeds. You know, if we turn up late or underprepared or half-hearted, we're missing out. We're missing something. The rest of the church is missing something. We're not feeling inspired or motivated to do love and good deeds. And some of us, we might be in a hurt place. We might feel broken. We might feel disappointed by church. We might feel let down. We might feel isolated we might feel alone and this scripture is telling us something very very clear because the Hebrews they were feeling persecuted they were feeling whoa hang on Jesus died changed the whole game formerly we were all about the Torah we're all about the high priest we're all about the sacrifice we're all about this that and the other we're all about the Jewish faith and now Jesus come on the scene And now we've changed our mind, we've converted to Christianity, and now we're getting persecuted for it. They were discouraged, they were hurt, they were broken. The scripture says, don't give up meeting together. The worst thing that you can do if you feel weary or if you feel tired or labored in church is stop coming to church the worst thing that you can do if you're feeling alone is stop going to small group the worst thing that you can do if you're feeling that your marriage or your relationships are struggling is to avoid people who are doing well in their marriage who are doing well in their relationships who are doing well looking after their children do not give up meeting together